0: Welcome to What About Us, a podcast about how policies affect rural Tennesseans, now available on iTunes and Google Play. Thanks to everyone who has tuned in and told your friends about What About Us. Today's pod is a recording of Tennessee Education Association President Beth Brown speaking to a group of Franklin County voters about the school voucher bill, or HB 939, also referred to as the Educational Savings Account. This passed at the Tennessee Legislature this spring among. Amid much controversy. Let me say this presentation is lengthy and packed full of information. It has been edited to remove questions from the audience that could not be adequately recorded. In most instances, Beth has repeated the question. Beth will return to do a more in-depth interview and talk about other ways Tennessee public education can be improved for everyone. But for now, students, grab your pencil and notebook and get ready to learn about vouchers.
1: My name is Beth Brown. I'm a high school English teacher from Grundy County. Uh, 17 years in the classroom before I took leave to serve as president of the Tennessee Education Association. I'm going to go ahead and say I apologize for not standing up and speaking. That's how I normally do it. But since we're recording, it's going to be a little bit easier, I think, uh, for her audience if I if I sit. So with your indulgence, I will. Um, just to give you a little bit of my background, my entire career, uh, I've, taught in, I've taught in Grundy County 17 years. Like I said, I uh, have served on the board of directors for the Tennessee Education Association from 2009 until 2012. I was much, much younger then. And then served uh, as vice president for four years before assuming the presidency July 1 of 2018. So I've just begun year two as president of the uh, the Tennessee Education Association. And because of the uh, requirements of this job, I have taken leave for my classroom in Grundy County. So uh, when I locked my doors, room 14 in Grundy County High School last May uh, 2018, I haven't been back in a classroom Since as a as an educator so this is it's been quite a year of adjustment for me so um, and I will say as a rural educator I I certainly appreciate being here to talk with you all because I know that uh, rural districts have uh, some pretty interesting challenges that a lot of people unless you live in a rural district they can't understand and so I've been able to take that perspective to the Capitol and talk with our legislators so just to kind of give me a sense of who's in the room, um, play teacher a little bit, uh, raise your hand if you are an educator or a retired educator. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, if you are a parent, okay, uh, an aunt or uncle or grandparent of a, of a student who's in school right now, okay, and public ed supporter. Okay. So that that kind of that kind of helps me a little know who's in the room a little bit and then also if you'll just take your hand um hold up 5 and on a scale of 1 to 5 just kind of show me your knowledge of of the voucher bill like 5 is you were following it rapidly you know everything about it 1 you've heard the word you're not really sure what it means 0 you this is this is your first foray into it okay okay so we've got quite a uh, quite a range that that also helps me a little bit Um, so Sandra asked me to come and talk to you all about the ESA voucher bill that was passed House Bill 939 um, that was passed this past spring but I I told her I'm going to kind of hit on a couple of different issues because uh, whether or not the general public realizes that they are all connected and that is testing charter schools and vouchers they are all connected Um, if you have been teaching in Tennessee uh, since 2001 that's when I started uh, with the advent of no child left behind um, you know it's no child left untested we we have a a, we've had a serious shift in our public education system in Tennessee where we have have shifted to a strong focus on standardized testing uh, so much so that in 2011 um, we overhauled the teacher evaluation system to include test scores. Um, There are some real problems with our current testing system and anybody who's been in a classroom for more than two hours understands that you have a lot of different little bodies and little brains in that classroom and they learn differently and on any given day uh, what they can demonstrate they know is 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 quite different and so we know that uh, the system that we have that is a summative one-day snapshot of what our students um, can do is is totally flawed and accurate and then that flawed data is used to label our students label our educators label our schools Um, sometimes it's a it's a positive label but most often it's a negative label our students are labeled as failing our educators are labeled as failing our schools and communities are labeled as failing and why that's important particularly for like um, county government is if you're trying to attract businesses or uh, people to move in there they want to know what kind of schools you have and if you have the this flawed label it's very difficult to attract people to your community Um, we also um, know that when we have this label as failing, we, we create this narrative that our schools aren't working, that our educators aren't doing their jobs, and so we need, quote-unquote, choice. We need to create options for our students. Um, and so that's when we started to see charter schools pop up across the state uh, particularly in our urban areas but uh, there are some in some rural areas and the new charter author authorization bill that passed this session is going to make it a little bit easier for charter schools to start popping up in places like Grundy County where I'm from or here in Franklin County um, I will say that the bill in its final version is, is a, a more palatable than it was in its original version but in a nutshell what that uh, charter authorization bill does is it takes the authorizing authority away from the State Board of Education and creates a new authorizing board so a a new bureaucracy um, to consider those charter school applications and determine whether or not um, a charter school should be allowed to open anywhere in the state Now, I will say one of the the good changes to the bill is um, in in its uh, original version, the state authorizer could override a local decision. So, in in Franklin County, if Franklin County um, Board of Education, the county vision, they decided we do not want a charter school here, the state authorizing agent they could have overridden the, the desires of the local. That has been taken out and so um, it is going to go back to to the local somewhat the local has to demonstrate that it's going to um, negatively impact the district and if they can do that which they anybody's going to be able to do because of the fiscal impact if a local system can demonstrate that um, a charter school is going to negatively impact the county then They can override uh, an authorization from this new state bureaucracy, so that is good news, and that's something that TEA helped get put into the law um, to protect our local districts. Can the opposite happen if a local authority decides they want to look a charter school? Can the chartering authority say no? You don't get one. No, and they would never do that. Okay, (laughs) because let's face it, it's all about money. Okay. Yeah. but, yeah, a local could decide, yes, we want it, and then that's going to be the end of it. Um, but if a local decides no and the state ch- our charter authorizer says yes, a local can um, demonstrate negative fiscal impact and then override the yes. So. Um, So that's just one guise of of school choice but the biggest one that we saw this year and the one that uh was in the news the most was of course the ESA voucher bill House Bill 939 was the final version that passed Um, it saw many iterations Um, it uh it's interesting I I think that uh, despite all of the media surrounding this bill there's still so many tennesseans who have no idea that this bill passed they have no idea what it means they have no idea how it could impact their school district Um, because some of you may realize this but we had defeated um, voucher bills seven years in a row did y'all know that So if you've been in education, you know that. Other people might not. But vouchers and voucher legislation is nothing new in Tennessee. We've just been able to defeat it every year uh, until this year. And there there are (laughs) a variety of reasons that that happened. Um, We had a new governor. We have a new governor. We had, uh, soon to be had, a new um, speaker of the House. uh, And he was instrumental in the passing of this bill. but what was really kind of alarming to me as I was watching this, you know, left my classroom, have been working in Nashville, been over at the Capitol uh, almost every day during the session, uh, meeting with legislators, talking to them about it. What's really fascinating in a sad, disturbing kind of way is that at every stage of, of the bill passage, it was a different version. So uh, just to give you a little bit of background of the the system in place to consider bills at the capitol there's you know we've got the house we've got the senate the senate has one education committee Uh, vouchers have always passed the senate it's always been in the house of representatives where we've been able to stop it and um in the past we've had uh, one full education committee two subcommittees this year um it seemed that the speaker needed to give a lot of gavels <laughs> to his friends in the legislature, and so we had a lot more committees than we had had in the past. The full education committee uh, in the House of Representatives has 23 members. That's pretty significant, um, and there were four subcommittees. Uh, of those, 23? There, so one full House Education Committee 23 members and then those 23 members were divided into four different groups so four different categories Um, uh, but there was an entire committee dedicated it was called uh, curriculum and innovation which is really the voucher and testing committee Um, so in order to get the voucher bill passed it had to go through several different steps it had to go through the subcommittee. It had to go through the full committee. Um, anyway, it had to be heard, heard on the floor. And then when the House version and the Senate version didn't gel, then they went to conference committee. Um, there was never, uh, legislators never saw the same version of the bill twice, ever. And if you look online and, and you go back and look at the progress of that bill, they're like, 17 different versions it's ridiculous um, but the final bill that passed it did go through conference committee uh, if you're not familiar with conference committee that's what happens when the house version of a bill passes and a senate version passes and they do not align so it goes to a committee com- um, composed of representatives from the house and representatives from the senate they get together ostensibly to talk about it and hammer out a deal what we saw is is um, the morning of the conference committee it was an 8.30 a.m. meeting and um, a member of the the vice chair of the senate education committee walked in with um, a 30 page bill handed it out they didn't even have time to read it and then it was passed Um, it was quite dreadful um, and then it went to the house floor and they voted on it they had not read it voted on it approved it that was the infamous uh, 49-49 vote, if you kept up with that. Um, and then uh, this, the Senate uh, concurred. So that's kind of how it passed. Um, let's talk about what's actually in it, what it does. House Bill 939, the ESA voucher bill. What does ESA stand for? Thank you. That's a good question. Uh, ESA, Education Savings Accounts, that's the new uh supposedly supposedly excuse me uh more palatable name for vouchers they're vouchers um uh but you know the, the thing that's really interesting is that vouchers had tested so negatively in the population if you ask people two to one against vouchers in the state of tennessee and it didn't matter if it was rural suburban urban yeah. east middle west tennesseeans yeah. hate them two to one um But when they're relabeled education savings accounts, suddenly it seems like this new thing and it sounds happier (laughs) in some way. Um, And so it was just a rebranding to make it more palatable. So the bill that ultimately passed, um, it is limited to two counties, uh, Davidson County, so Metro Nashville Schools and Shelby County. Um, And what's really interesting about that is when the bill was first written, it applied to every county. And in order to get rural legislators like mine um, to vote yes for it, they had to pull out all of the rural districts, all of the suburban. And it was initially limited to five urban locals uh, or um, locals with a significant number of priority schools. Okay, So schools that uh, are not performing um, academically the way that they need to be or the way we would like for them to be. So it it went from statewide down to these five districts. Um, And in order to qualify, you were going to have to attend a district that had a priority school. You didn't have to attend a priority school, but if you attended a district that had a priority school, then you would be eligible for the voucher. It's uh, was a deb- it's a debit card, seventy three hundred dollars, and it um, was going to be sent to the families and they could spend it how they s- how they uh, see fit on education. Um, I'm trying to think what else. The income requirement was double the federal guidelines for po- the poverty level, so it was a very High threshold, uh, so a family of four, if they were making like eighty five thousand, ninety ninety thousand dollars, would be eligible for this voucher to help them afford uh, private school or education choice. So um, some of those things wound up changing. Um, the final version of the bill, uh, it's it, like I said, it's down to Metro Nashville and Shelby County, and that had to happen after the House vote because. Um, to get that 50th vote, to get someone who had voted no to switch his vote to yes, they had to promise to take Knox County Schools out of the program. Um, So it is down to the two districts. It is still a $7,300 debit card. It is um, eligible to anybody in those districts uh, because they have have priority schools. So you could have somebody who, say, is at Hume Fogg, one of the highest performing schools, ask for this voucher and then go use it for for private school that is that's allowable in the law Um, it is um, they did lower the income level so it's not quite as high as it was but it's still um, much higher than I'd say the average income is in Franklin County certainly much higher than the average family income is in Grundy County Um, so two districts $7,300 debit card it's sent to families um, for them to use for school choice Um, the program is sold as not being damaging to our school districts in fact the governor said this is not going to hurt the school districts financially this is going to be in addition to they're not going to lose BEP funds which is our funding formula it's how we get funds for our schools yes (laughs) ma'am uh there there's no way that that can happen and in fact he said you know we're going to start saving money now we're going to save for three years before this is even implemented then they diverted the funds for year one to pay for hepatitis c treatments in prisons that left two years that they were going to they were going to fund it and now the governor has said we're gonna start it a year earlier. So instead of starting it instead of starting it in twenty one twenty two, we're gonna start it in twenty twenty one. Yes ma'am and their goal is to take fifteen thousand students out of the public schools in five years. That's ten million nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It is it is an incredible that price will affect the public school system well (laughs) yes it will so they um also have set a cap and this was a number that was um originally it was it was 5,000 a year with a a cap of 15,000 um they doubled it and then when they went to conference committee they brought it back down so ultimately 15,000 students in metro Nashville and Shelby County schools so um there, there's just, <laughs> there are just some real problems with this legislation. I will say that the kind of the next steps and what's going to happen, you know, like I mentioned, Governor Lee has pushed up that timeline. He wants to roll it out a year sooner. Um, we also know that the uh, Department of Education and the State Board of Education are now tasked with creating the rules for it I met with uh, Commissioner Penny Schwinn um, last month and I'm I'm meeting with her again next month but in in the meeting that I had with her in June she indicated that um, the State Board of Education is actually going to be adding a meeting to their fall schedule so they can get um, the rules for this program through a final reading by November so you're going to start seeing I don't know how much how much the media will cover it but we're going to start seeing some movement in Nashville with the Department of Education and the State Board of Education to get all of those rules laid out um, because Governor Lee wants to to start this year earlier I will say that there are some potential lawsuits Um, because in the final version of the bill I've already stated that um, Metro Nashville and Shelby County are the only school districts impacted however there is a state law or not it was a state law or was it case law anyway it is illegal to pass a law that only impacts certain counties unless they ask for it Mm -hmm. you can't pass a law that's not that doesn't have statewide impact unless the local asks for it and those locals did not ask for this they did not want it Um, they're completely traumatized and if you watched any of the um, the videos of the floor debate or any of the committee debates when you hear from the legislators from Nashville and from Memphis they are devastated they're absolutely devastated about what this is going to do to their schools what this is going to do to their communities so there's there's the potential for a lawsuit there the other potential lawsuit has to do with um, language surrounding um, immigration status if you are an educator you know that it is illegal for us to ask a student about their immigration status we educate everybody the law specifically says that they have to demonstrate um, legal status, legal immigration status, to and so to you, the teacher, to in order to it to receive the debit fund, the, the the voucher funds via debit card. So that violates a federal law, and so um, we anticipate law. In, in fact, I can I can start naming um, organizations that I think will file those suits as soon as this this launches. So there are a couple of uh, lawsuits that are possible that could um totally do away with this law and I will say that I I believe that there are legislators who realized that because um when the house was getting ready to pass their final version they amended it to include a clause that says if any of this bill is found um unconstitutional we're going to do away with the whole thing we're not going to take it statewide because that's what would happen you if you can't limit it to two it would have to go statewide and they're like we don't want that so if we can't um, do it with just these two and it then we're just gonna do away with it so that is actually really good news um, I'll just say, as an educator um, and as president of the Tennessee Education Association, I can share several concerns that we have, and continue had and continue to have about this particular law. First of all, when you look at states that have had voucher systems in place for several years, like Arizona and Florida and Louisiana, uh, it is ripe with fraud. And if you've studied any of it and you've seen what's happened in Arizona. Um, You've got people spending those monies on large screen TVs, uh, spa treatments, vacations, and in Arizona, and in Arizona, there was even one found who had um, used it to pay for abortion. Wow! Mm-hmm. So, uh, lots of potential for fraud, and so I think that's one of the things that concerns me. And, and as I'm looking at news reports coming out of. Um, Of Nashville and Memphis, when you talk about the legislators from those areas, they're also concerned about fraud. They're like, you know, we didn't like it. It passed. But if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And, you know, by rushing the timeline, you are just creating opportunity for fraud to happen. Um, The other thing that's most alarming to me as an educator is um, when you study, the research shows that students who take vouchers and go to schools that are, that are not their public schools actually do worse academically than the, their peers that stay in public schools and so um when you've got a system that's ostensibly designed to help improve student academic achievement that's actually doing the opposite. I just don't understand why we would want to bring this here to um, to Tennessee. And finally uh, a, a big concern I have and, and I said this in one of my Facebook live um, videos the, the day that it passed the Senate um, before it went to conference committee but the day that it passed the Senate um, I, I said What hurts me the most about all of the conversations that I've heard about this voucher bill We've we've heard this narrative that students are failing, that teachers are failing, that schools are failing, and we've got to we've got to intervene. We've got to provide a good public education. There was never any conversation about what it is that's keeping our students from performing well academically. There's no discussion about adverse childhood experiences. There's no discussion about trauma-informed instruction. There's no discussion about how uh, food insecurity and um, parents having uh, marital issues or having parents incarcerated or not having stable housing how any of that is impacting our students there was no conversation about that from anybody none and so we have this law that we're going to we're going to go in and and save these poor children with this voucher but we're not going to treat the root cause and let's be very frank $7,300 is not enough to pay for private education so what we're going to be doing is subsidizing private schools for families who can already afford it um, because the students who can't will not be able to pay for uniforms will not be able to pay for transportation you know there are all these other costs related to it and so all of these things really bother me about this law, but the, the biggest thing is we are not talking about what's hurting our kids and keeping them from be, being successful academically. And I think that that's the biggest failure of our General Assembly right now when it, it comes to passing education legislation. Um I will say one of the things that Miss um, Sandra included in her email, she, she talked about some things that she's heard legislators say. I've heard my legislators say it. Well, don't worry, this isn't going to affect Grundy County. I mean, he said that to me before he went and voted for it the first time, and then again the second time. Um, I've heard it from your legislator. I've heard it from a number of rural and suburban um, legislators. And they're like, don't worry, it's not going to affect our county. Well, if we don't want it in our county why would we inflict that on anybody else first of all and um, secondly the conversation that I had with your legislator when this first started when I when I you can do that it's probably less appropriate for me to do that but I, I will say, when I spoke with, um, with your legislator, I mentioned this county in particular. And I said, you know, when we're talking about counties with failing schools or priority schools, have you looked at the test data on Franklin County? Because there are some schools that if they're not already labeled as priority schools, they're on the verge. And with a flawed testing system, who knows? You can get up to five very easily. And so this the biggest thing um, I think we have to remember when we say this doesn't affect my county, this is the camel's nose under the tent. This is the camel's nose under the tent. And we we already see um, the governor trying to implement this earlier than what uh, legislators were told. And so I think that's just indicative of, of um, an, a desire and an intent to to push this out. Uh, so that's that's a, lo- a little bit alarming. Um, the other thing that uh, Miss Sandra said in her email that she heard from legislators is, "Well, I don't understand why teachers don't like this. They're going to get a pay increase." Oh, from the seventy
0: three hundred.
1: <laughs> well, no, not the seventy three hundred dollars, but but. Um, <laughs> Legislators appointed to the fact, well, the governor's give and put in a 2% raise in, the, in the, the state budget. Well, yes, let's acknowledge that. Yes, the governor has, has put money in for a raise, but let's, let's also acknowledge some other things. First of all, it's a significantly less investment than our former governor, Bill Haslam who had unprecedented uh, investment in public education. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he was the be-all, end-all, and everything was wonderful. But he, uh, Governor Haslam, did invest significantly more in public education than what we're seeing now with our current governor. Um, I would also point to the um, Office of Research and Education Accountability report that came out the next to last day of the um, general session, excuse me, the the legislative session. And it... um, verified everything that TEA had been saying to our our legislators when I went to meetings from the lieutenant lieutenant governor to all of these different education committee um, legislators anybody that I was talking to I was like okay you can talk about sending a raise but I'm telling you it is not getting to teachers paychecks I'm telling you that as a teacher in Grundy County I can drive 40 minutes in any direction and get Uh, between $4,000 and $10,000 raise and better benefits and let's talk about why that's bad for our students that's not Beth Brown being greedy that's Beth Brown realizing that if you want to recruit and retain the best educators in your district you've got to be able to make it an affordable career they've got to be able to feed their own families and it's bad for kids when they have that constant churn when they're getting new teachers every year every other year we know Because there are a lot of educators in this room that we get better every year. Experience matters. Teaching is a craft and we get better as we practice it. And so when you have students who are having new teachers all the time, they're not getting the rich education experience that they could if they had a steady um, staff in their building. Um, And so the the OREA report indicated and and verified what we had been telling that, yes, you're sending the money down to local districts, but they're not getting the money to teachers' paychecks. And there are a variety of reasons for that. And I talked to the media about that quite extensively. First of all... um, you have a, a broken funding formula to so the basic education plan formula, our BEP funding formula is broken it only funds seventy percent of what a local district needs in order to operate so in a district like mine that's very large geographically we have six elementary schools one high school the funding formula does not come near to what we need in order to keep those schools open and so, Grundy County, which has a, almost no tax base, is responsible for 30% of that. And they're taking this money that's coming down from the state and instead of giving people raises, they are funding um, literacy coaches and the teaching positions and, and educational aid assistance and uh, positions that are not funded by the BEP. And, it just is what it is and so when the OREA report came out and uh lo and behold in the last five years Grundy County has gotten a 0.3 percent raise I said I told you so I told you so um so legislators can can say yes we're giving teachers a raise and they should be happy um but let's be really honest about those funds first of all the funding formula is completely inadequate and secondly um there are all these other positions that are that we are having to fund where teachers aren't getting those raises and he's the governor has not given as much as Haslam did so yes and thank you for bringing that up Miss Pat so Pat's question has to do with the different accountability standards for the schools who take the um, voucher money versus our traditional public schools so um, for those of you who aren't familiar with all of the testing that's required um, to graduate from high school, and I'm going to speak to high school because that's what I know. Uh, students have to take the ACT. They have an end of course exam in um, English 1 and English 2. Used to be English 3, but we're down to English 1 and English 2. Used to have one in chemistry, that's been reduced. Um, history, biology. Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, so there's a significant amount of testing um, in the elementary school English, Math, Science, and Social Studies, but I can't tell you what specifically they are. schools that accept these vouchers there is no requirement that they have to do all of the testing that the public schools do oh. and there was an amendment it was actually passed by um, a representative from west tennessee from the arlington area um he actually proposed an amendment that they would have to take the same tests. uh that uh, was originally put on the house version but it was ultimately taken off so um the bill that passed says that the students will have to take the tests in English and math, but not social studies and science, and they don't have to take the ACT. So um, there, there was some discussion, well, you're really comparing apples and oranges, because if you're not accountable for the same testing, how can you say that they're providing a better education than what the public schools are providing? Well, I am too, Miss Pat. So you're talking about Representative Bill Dunn from Knoxville, who was the sponsor, the House sponsor of the bill, who was the House sponsor of the bill. Um, And he's actually sponsored this bill many, many, many times. Um, But there's never been any um, discussion about the families that are left. So... He, there's this idea that parents should have a choice, um, but really the choice is only for parents who can already afford choice because those who are left, uh, they, they don't have a choice. And so I think that that's one of the, the big concerns that, that I and, and that uh, TEA has about this bill is we are going to funnel all of this money into a very small population of students, and it's going to have irreparable harm on the students who are left behind because the monies that are going into this voucher program are not being spent on the students in the schools that are left in the district. And so you're going to have your um, students with the most challenges, your neediest students are going to be left with lower incomes. I will say that there, um, there was a legislator from Nashville who very bravely, I'm going to use one of my <coughs> Granny County colloquialisms threw the skunk on the table in an education committee meeting, and he said, "Let's really talk about what this is. You are targeting black and brown communities." Bingo. Say that, that's what's happened in other states. Mm-hmm. That's what has happened in Arizona. In Arizona, 70 percent of the students who took vouchers, who take vouchers are zoned for a high-performing school. So we're going to provide vouchers for students who don't necessarily need them, and then the district is going to be left with fewer resources for the neediest students. And I think that we have a real opportunity, for those of you who didn't hear Miss Betty's comment, she's talking about wouldn't it be a better use of our funds if we invested the monies that are being diverted to this voucher program into programs that are actually working and can work for all schools um, and I think that that's one of the things that uh, TEA is most excited about a bill that we have been working on for several years we finally got it passed this year it's called a community schools bill and what community school transformational community schools are are school models that bring parents in to help be decision makers they provide um wraparound services so that's i know that's teacher lingo but it's making sure that somebody's getting health care vision care things that we know have a negative or can negatively impact um students if they're not receiving it um that can help with community partners who can help with with food insecurity and things like that so too so those are two really good questions i will say the answer to your first one i cannot spout off a bibliography but i will be happy to um send some resources to miss sandra um i can send her links to those things and, but don't ask for it tomorrow. <laughs> it will give me at least till the I've got a board meeting this weekend, so um, maybe give me till early next week. But I'll, I will. I've written myself a note to send that to her. And your other question, Miss Melissa, was about religious schools receiving these voucher funds. So the law, and I don't have it in front of me. The law says that um, there are certain there are categories of private schools, and that vouchers would be. Um, could be used at certain categories uh not all of them but uh to answer your question or to your point could they be used at a school that's uh, maybe not necessarily teaching about um evolution for example I think the answer is yes because private schools get to set their own standards they get to set their own curriculum in a way that um public schools do not which is another reason uh, that I think it's so many educators are frustrated with this bill because we are labeled as failing by a standardized test that's measuring standards and prescriptive curriculum that we're not getting to choose um, we're being told we have to teach these things we have to give this particular test even if we don't think it's what's best for our students so that there's this narrative so that we can, uh, so that people can come in and say, see, public schools are failing, let's get rid of them, we just need to privatize everything. Right. So there's uh, there's actually not a minimum score in order to graduate. However, um, every 11th grade student has to take the ACT. It is mandated uh, for graduation. It is a graduation requirement. Um, so colleges do not require it? Well, yeah, some, colleges. Some, some, some colleges do, some colleges, uh, um, will take the prefer the SAT so I'm not saying that students in private schools won't take those tests they're just not required to oh well yeah they're 100 like 100 kids I mean I teach more than that in a single day you know um, but when you're talking about a program this scale there will have to be a dedicated staff um, so that will be taking some of the funds yeah. So, Miss Sanders' question is, "What can we do now? This is passed. What do we do now?" So, that's actually a really good question. Um, if you follow politics in Nashville, you've seen some really unhappy people across the state, particularly um, in the uh, two and three weeks immediately following the end of the session, when all sorts of corruption. Uh, within our state government was exposed. Uh, We're about to see a special session called uh, to elect a new speaker of the house. Um, And so, and and we've seen several staff people who have been, who have resigned and or been fired um, because of the, the different types of corruption. I think that there are legislators who are looking for a way to pull back from maybe some unwise life choices and or votes on the House floor um, from this past legislative session who are looking for a way out. And so I think with the current situation with the speakership, um, people are looking to distance themselves from that. So I think that there, there's a possibility. I mean, they passed a lot of create them. They could go back and rescind. Um, I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility, but it's going to take a lot of pressure um, back at home and it can't just be people coming to Nashville. I mean, the best lobbying happens at the local level. Um, It it has to do with the voters back at home because I can walk into any legislator's office in Nashville and the only one who really gives a darn about (laughs) what I think is Representative Paul Sherrill because that's the one who's on the ballot when I go in the ballot box to vote. What about the court challenges, though? That sounds like it might be the best avenue for undoing this as opposed to getting the legislature to act it that that is a good point it's something that at TEA we have talked about Uh, I think the issues there is the law actually has to be implemented so we would have to kind of wait for it to actually be enacted Um, we also have to keep in mind 2020 is a an election year so people are gonna be looking for friends Yes. so uh, I, I would say let's pursue all avenues um I will be talking to my legislator because people at home are very unhappy uh, with him. And so uh, I, I would I think that we can uh, continue to apply pressure and say you made a bad choice, you need to undo it and keep that pressure on and remind them that it's an election year and they work for us. And um, but also keep in mind that there are some some legislative, excuse me, some legal challenges uh, that could arise. Uh, but those have to be filed from specific groups. So those aren't necessarily things that you could do. So,
0: Thank you, Beth Brown and the audience for their excellent questions. I'd like to restate the action plan. As in so many of our plans, the need to be vigilant in reading about legislation such as HB 939 is most important, followed by communicating with your elected officials by letter, phone, or in person. There were many instances where school boards and teachers opposed this bill, and it just barely passed. What did your representative do, and why? Talk to others and share your stories. School has started. Talk to teachers. Are they getting a raise? Are they brand new to the profession? Also notice County Commission reports about pay raises for teachers and support staff. Follow national news about teachers' pay and demands. And finally, reflect on how important education is to you and our society and how much should we be paying for it. Thanks for listening to another episode of What About Us. The purpose of this podcast is to bring real information from the best people in our state to break down some of the complex issues we face, especially in rural Tennessee. By increasing our knowledge and understanding, we will have a stronger voice when financial and policy decisions about healthcare, education, and small businesses are made. This is creator Sandy Rice signing off.